Hey, folks. Welcome to Officer Hours with Dr. C. Uh, my name is Dr. Gabriel Cruz, and I am obviously the host. I don't know why I feel the need to introduce myself. God damn it, we're going to do that one over. All no, right. we can't We can't edit these things. It's impossible to edit audio. That's the intro. You did it. <laughs> I'm recording this on wax right now. It's over. That's the beginning of the record. As part of our budgetary constraints. Um, no, we're just hipster like that. We, you, you, you didn't tell me this was a live-to-tape production. Yeah. <laughs> hey, folks. Welcome to Offsiders with Dr. C. And now that Barry's done screwing with me, I'm Dr. Gabriel Cruz, and I am uh, obviously the person whose office you're in, audibly speaking. So uh, today, Barry and I are joined with... Uh, actually, I'll let our guests uh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shanna Gilkison. I'm a PhD candidate at Bowling Green State University and a part-time lecturer at Eastern Michigan University. Thanks for coming on, Shanna. So uh, a little bit of context. Shanna is a friend of mine. Um, we met, what, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there? Right? Uh, I came to Bowling Green in uh, 2015. That's right, right. So a year after I did. So yeah, and we've, you know, we've been through uh, a fair amount together, um, you know, through a common grad program and that sort of stuff and that you're finishing up right now and uh, have been through some very, there's a reason I brought you on is because I, I trust your judgment and we've been through a fair amount of shared trauma that I feel comfortable talking to you about things <laughs> like this. Um, and, and that shared trauma has been things like, you know, late night study sessions, stuff like that. Um, you were graciously putting up with me in the weeks leading up to my wedding, you and some other people when I was a neurotic mess. And also I helped you open up your first um, Star Trek dating website. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, profile, which actually ties into today's discussion, and that is that we're going to be talking about um, online fandoms. No, no, <laughs> no. But but we don't know when this is going out. So for anyone who's interested, Shannon may be on the market. No, um, I'm still single. Go figure. <laughs> there you. Anyway. Um, so actually, but we are going to be talking about, uh, you know, sort of Star Trek, Star Wars, that sort of fandom, but your research in particular focuses on online communities, right? You are a fandom scholar. Yeah. So my dissertation is focusing on sexism in the Star Wars fandom. And to do that, I am looking at a Star Wars online community and observing how fans uh, have been interacting with each other over certain issues. And so a lot of your work focuses also on sort of gender dynamics in that regard as well. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. All right. Let's operationalize the term fandom for those who may not be familiar. So how would you describe a fandom or a fan community? So there's a couple of different ways uh, you can look at this. When I refer to a fandom, it's a collection of uh, aficionados uh, who uh, center around a particular text, uh, usually in some kind of media. So there would be the Star Trek fandom or the Star Wars fandom or the Lady Gaga fandom even. You know, this happens for music just as much as it does TV, film, and video games. Uh, we could also say fandom more broadly and talk about something that's not specific to a particular text, but just that um, identity construction of belonging to this movement who loves some kind of text. Right. So much so that this text becomes a component of how they conceptualize themselves in some way. Yeah, yeah. When it, it when you say that you're a fan, it's it's constructing an identity, whereas when you just say, I love Star Trek, you're just declaring an affinity for it. 
So there's a little bit of a distinction. You can like something without necessarily be a, being a, a fan per se. Uh, you know, you're, you're just saying that you like this thing. But when you say you're a fan, you have taken this text as part of your identity. Right, right. So like I watched all 15 years of Supernatural, um, which if anyone's listening to that and they think, well, Dr. Cruz, I must wonder about your, your ability to make rational decisions, that's a fair critique. Um, but I'm not getting the uh, supernatural, like, uh, uh, anti-demon possession tattoo on me anytime <laughs> soon, right? I, I draw a line there, certainly. Um, so in the uh, analysis of these sort of communities, they sort of take on their own personalities. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Even within uh, different communities uh, devoted to the same text, uh, you can get, I guess I would say, a, a different uh, uh, collective personality between them, depending on you know what the policies are there and who makes up the membership. Yeah, I want to delve a little bit into the role of gender in that capacity because that is, of course, what you study. Um, and just in interest of disclosure to my audience, you know, I study a lot of pop culture stuff, but fandom is actually something that I don't get much into. Um, as a person, just as an enjoyer and consumer of media, I don't really belong to any particular fandoms. Um, but even as an academic as well. So this is, in many ways, I'm, I'm deferring to your expertise in this way. What would you say has been a uh, recurring theme within the sort of the gender politics of these fandoms? Is there anything, has there been anything in particular that you've noticed has stood out as like particularly pervasive? Uh, particularly pervasive uh, can be a an underlying attitude, uh, whether it's said directly or not, that uh, the women are the interlopers, the intruders who are ruining everything with their women's agendas, <laughs> things of that nature, uh, tied closely to the whole, you know, I mean, none of this stuff ever happens in a vacuum. If you've got misogyny in a fandom, you've probably got some racism, you've probably got some ableism. Uh, so it all kind of boils down to people pushing pushing back against a supposed social justice warrior agenda right. thing, you know. And I want to talk about something about that in particular, and that is this aspect of exposure. Because in, in my very limited experience with online communities and fandoms, a lot of it has been, and we actually mentioned this a little bit before we started recording, this idea of, well, where were the women who were nerds when I was a kid? Right or where was that uh, community growing up? And the fact of the matter is, we've only been able to gather in this way in a very recent amount of time, right? So, but uh, I think harkening back to a previous conversation you and I had, like zine culture, which was the early fandom iteration, was largely spearheaded by women. Absolutely. Uh, if you look at, say, the Star Trek fandom in particular. Uh, there, there were women basically keeping that show alive uh, since the 1960s. I mean, you know, a woman, B. Jo Trimble, uh, started the Save Star Trek letter writing campaign that led to NBC reconsidering canceling Star Trek for another season. Um, another part of that is that NBC was owned by RCA that wanted to sell color TVs. Star Trek was in color. So, you know, there was like that whole political dynamic that people a lot of times don't talk about. But when you say that women are invisible or weren't there, uh, we just kind of get conveniently ignored. 
And the other thing too is that um, our our interests uh, are kind of valued along gendered lines. Uh, women who write fan fiction and women who were publishing these fanzines. This was women's work. It was treated the same dismissive way as we laugh about soap operas and rom-coms and, and things of that nature. You know, we blow it off. It's just for a bunch of silly women, right? Uh, but you know, these, these manly pursuits of knowing all the trivia and owning all the models and, you know, collecting all the things, you know, these are things that are valued within the fandom and tend to be more uh, masculine driven, I suppose I would say. So, you know, if, if we as women fail to participate in these things, we fail as fans. And and we're considered not real fans, which is another thing that I look at in my research, the, the gendered gatekeeping and who gets to call themselves a fan or a real fan. It's not like George Lucas was saying, listen, I only want only want young white men from the age of 18 to 34 to consume Star Wars. That would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, I mean. I, I don't know how accurate this is, but in one of my sources for my research, uh, you know, George Lucas is quoted as saying about Star Wars, well, this isn't the Titanic, it's the boys movie. Ah, I see. So, you know, and I mean, who is he catering to when he makes these movies? You know, um, it clearly uh, wasn't the women, you know, um, which I, I could go... And I could go into this if you wanted me to. Um, yes, please. But <laughs> so if we look at uh, representation in terms of the screen, if we go back to 1977, you know, we have uh, Princess Leia, who is an extremely uh, capable woman who facilitates her own escape. You know, all she really needed was an opportunity and... You know, she, she, she's a respected leader and a pivotal person in trying to bring down the Empire, right? So, you know, and then we've got Luke Skywalker, we've got Han Solo, but she, she, she's, she's a great, strong female character, but she's suffering from exceptionality. She is the stand-in for all women in this story. We move to Empire Strikes Back. We introduce the uh, the, the, the romantic uh, storyline, which, you know, it's fine by me. I'm shipper trash. I'm okay with that. I, I, lo I love me some hot <laughs> and Leia. Um, but, you know, then we start to define her not in terms of herself, but in terms of her relationships to men. So now she's Han Solo's girlfriend. She's the um, heartbroken lover who has to go find him after, you know, he gets frozen by Darth Vader, sold a job with a HUD, blah, blah, blah. By the time we get to Return of the Jedi, she's reduced to metal bikini, you know, and um, by the end of the movie, like she, she's just, had the least personal growth out of all of the other characters. You know, Han Solo stops being a smuggling drug dealer and becomes a general for the rebellion and, you know, helps save everything. Luke Skywalker redeems his father, helps defeat the Emperor. He's, like, you know, now the, the lone Jedi Master. Leia is just Han Solo's girlfriend and Luke Skywalker's sister and Darth Vader's daughter. Like, you know, so right. none of it's about her, you know? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I 
looked at in researching for my dissertation is how what we see on the screen bleeds off into the audience, right? So we're clearly not valuing Leia. Mm -hmm. So so when, when, you know, when Lucasfilm does this, uh, what he's saying is that women exist for men because Mm -hmm. Leia clearly does by the end of that trilogy. And yeah, he's aiming to cater to boys and not girls. And I think that's a really good observation and actually fits into some other parallels in comic scholarship, which I'll tie into in just a second. But I want to point out that Leia is profoundly unbreakable. Something that just occurred to me as you were talking about these things. Which is another problem, right? It is. Yeah. yeah, You know, she's responsible for holding it all together. She doesn't get to feel some type of way about watching her planet blow up. She doesn't Mm -hmm. get to feel some type of way about being tortured by Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I remember (laughs) as a kid seeing that that uh, that pre uh, torture scene when they bring in the droid with the needles and the claws and what have you thinking I'd, I'd just roll at that point oh my god that's that's horrifying um, but she also witnesses the death of her planet presumably the death of her father at the same time she is uh, she loses so much consistently but this gets to this idea of that is also paralleled in, in, in comic and superhero scholarship that women are often created fully formed and this is done at at best in the guise of creating fully dimensional characters, except that a part of dimensionality is struggling. And so, for example, the the example that comes to mind the most is um, The Incredibles, the animated movie, right, from years ago, where the whole movie is, on one hand, about a mom who is completely fully formed, she holds the family together, uh, she, you know, supports the husband, raises the kids, all that kind of stuff. She is, and we've seen this trope in, uh, you know, dozens of other like sitcoms and stuff where the mom literally has everything running. At the same time, the movie sort of centers the struggles of men who are incapable of dealing with the external pressures, right? Uh, They're not satisfied with themselves or they have external things that they're struggling with, which is fine. It's good to have that growth. But when you don't have those dimensions of conflict uh, internally or externally for these women characters, you don't really get to see the full display of their humanity in a way that's really uh, qualified, or I should say, uh, quality representation, right? And so, yeah, you're right. Uh, To that point, Leia by the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, and I wonder, if I just had a, a moment, Return of the Jedi is my favorite of all the movies. Return of the Jedi is, is my favorite because you get to see Jedi Knight Luke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that you know, exchange with, with uh, Darth Vader, although I did hear someone point out that if it had been Leia, she'd have just let him die. Like there, she had right. no emotional attachment to that man. And honestly, not a bad, uh, approach to take. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was one of my big problems with the expanded universe, or now they call it legacy, right? But mm. the expanded universe novels, I gave up on them after a while because, you know, we had all this cutesy stuff. They they named, you know, Hanalea named one of their babies Anakin. And I was just like, oh my God, please. Like, you know, this... Yeah. Her relationship to Vader was much different than the one... Luke had. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. Vader tried to kill Luke, but you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, put in a torture chamber and tortured by a droid and drugs and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, Luke didn't get to what I mean, Luke's aunt and uncle got 
uh, killed, uh, but he didn't watch Tatooine blow up because they were looking for them. You right. know, Leia has suffered all kinds of traumas because of Darth Vader, and I just didn't think it was plausible that they would name this child Anakin because Anakin, even without the Vader persona, was no one to her. He yeah. was a sperm donor. Kid should have been called Bale. Uh, yeah, honestly, for real, yeah. for real. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, you know, it just um, I, I I would not have blamed her a bit if there had been some anger and resentment uh, in terms of Vader, you know, like, I mean, I think a real imagine, human being would feel that. I just imagine that scene, the iconic scene where he says, take my mask off so I may see you with my eyes or something mm -hmm. and Leia going, it's a damn shame, son, and walking away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And this is not to say that, you know, she would have to be necessarily sacrificing uh, the compassionate strength that we all admire about her in sure. that process. It's just she's entitled to have some feelings yeah. about this and she got robbed of that. Absolutely, that would have been a legitimate response. Um, so going back then to this issue of uh, sort of gender politics, uh, we see that you know the audience is primed for a certain mm -hmm. perception of women, right, through these films, and then you take that into uh, a the modern context of bearing in mind that what was the when, when did Return of the Jedi come out? That was what nineteen eighty three. Eighty three. Okay, and the gap from that to phantom menace mm -hmm. is you know a few decades right it's a couple decades where, or what's no 17 years yeah it's a decade yeah. and a half so there's that gap where we don't have new star wars uh, other than the expanded universe as you pointed out and so uh this uh, opportunity to redefine women in a in a you know mainstream way with like with the films doesn't really come along until you get padme right yeah and in that development you have these guys who grow up and women as well but for this moment talking about the guys who grow up they see the uh they see you know the merchandise the the, the other that you know slave one the millennium falcon all that sort of cool machismo stuff and then their ability to sort of relate to women is really limited because they don't have the option to find other women in the fandom the way that we do now with the internet. We kind of take that for granted that there are generations of Star Wars fans who grew up disconnected from each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, how I got started in Star Wars fandom, I saw the movie, I fell in love with it, like everybody else. Um, and like a lot of people, I wanted more of it, so I started writing my own Star Wars stories. I mean, you know, I'm 10 when I'm doing this. I don't know that there's this thing called fan fiction. I don't know that other people do it. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of people back then practicing fandom in a solitary way because they just didn't have the access to the networks. You know, those of us who lived in rural places, um, you know, and, and me at an age where, you know, it was icky to play with girls, you know, mm -hmm. nobody wanted to play Star Wars with me. So what do you do? Right, right. It reminds me when I was a kid, I, um, I liberated a copy of a uh, radio production of Return of the Jedi from a library and I still have it. I love and it's it. my dream. It's my dream one day to do a, a dramatic reading of it with some people, but I'm also terrified uh, <laughs> that the, the Disney banhammer will find me um, small and insignificant as I am. Um, but yeah, you're right. So people have to sort of, you can only engage in community with the people that you immediately have access to, right? And so maybe that's through fanzines where you can get a pen pal or something mm -hmm. like that. But by and large, even those are your know, mixed success at best. Um, so then let's talk about 
something that we've again discussed in previous conversations. I know I keep referencing that, but like I said, we've known each other for years. Um, the development of like this uh, incel culture uh. within within fandoms and particularly within like Star Wars or, or something along those lines, because it is a particularly virulent form of masculinity, of toxic masculinity. And for those who are not familiar, incel is a short for involuntarily celibate, which is to say these are guys who believe that if only it weren't for women, they would be having sex with women, um, just left and right. Uh, and if it weren't for these other men who won the genetic lottery, like um, my co-host uh, Barry Thornburg, um, the, you know, these are the kind of men who stand in their way of, uh, of achieving full you know, romantic ideals, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> <clears throat> Barry, I am, did you have a thought on that? <laughs> I am a fine masculine specimen. I will not. <laughs> Does Shalisa listen to this, by the way? I should have asked that before making that joke. <laughs> she, she does not, but she would not disagree. I am a fine. I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> anyway, so so so, what was the question? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just made everything really uncomfortable um, in the immediate physical and virtual proximity. No, so this idea of uh, how this form of um, toxic masculinity, this incel perspective, has uh, become a part of these fandoms. Um, so the biggest place that I notice it is uh the youtubers and the whole uh monetized nerd rage that goes um along with it and so you've got youtubers and i don't know if i should name names but there are certain ones that um you know if we're talking about star trek like they'll have you believe that's that star trek discovery is about to get canceled for like the 16th time this month right, right. um you know that they'll they'll tell straight up lies and spread rumors but they are they're they're very misogynistic uh very racist will deny that they're misogynistic and racist but their complaints really boil down to you know boohoo the main character is a strong black woman who has feelings and cries sometimes you know mm -hmm. um so there's that there's also one out there that's kind of full of in uh, uh it's a woman youtuber and uh she just kind of frustrates me because she's full of all kinds of internalized misogyny she 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 kind of is, um you know does this cool girl thing where you know i'm not like other girls well you know as you yeah. you know bust out the cleavage to get these incels to follow you and go along with what you're saying um so you know these youtubers do their thing and then like they make their way into the facebook communities or getting retweeted on twitter or you know something like that and then uh the people in the facebook communities fight about what whatever the YouTuber said and it just becomes a big old mess in the meantime uh, the women are uncomfortable <laughs> with mm -hmm. the discussion and um, you know yeah it can be kind of interesting to get administrators of those communities to even see it your way in the meantime it's very exhausting being a woman in these communities sure because you're not setting out to fix a bunch of broken boys on the internet you're just trying to have a conversation and then um, there's almost a sort of perhaps internal moral 
feeling of obligation that, all right, look, these idiots are wrong and someone needs to talk to them because clearly no one else is. Uh, and, you know, that, of course, has, you know, very real you know, mental health implications and things like that. But I want to go back to this idea that you mentioned of, like, YouTubers in particular because I've noticed, and I don't think anyone who is in, who is in these communities would say this is controversial. There is a uh, outrage industry, right, where mm-hmm. that is the currency of saying stuff. Um, this, I broadly became aware of uh, the whole forces female controversy surrounding Kathleen Kennedy where people were like this is her feminist agenda there you know she's wearing these shirts to say the force is female and this that, and the other and uh, just as a footnote if if we were to take the uh, perspective that the force is analogous for like the the Christian version of the Holy Spirit which that analogy has been made a few times with like the virgin birth and Anakin mm-hmm. and Jesus and all that kind of stuff uh, the Holy Spirit's female folks anyway going back um, the idea that you know Kathleen Kennedy is somehow trying to ruin Star Wars with her uh, uh, social justice warrior perspective and this forces female shirt is a great example of this outrage culture in large part because that was a Nike promotion, right? She was uh, wearing a shirt that she got from like Nike uh, execs to wear at an event that said the forces female referring to Air Force Ones, right? Uh, Referring to a shoe. That's what that was. But people were so rabid about it that they immediately, you know, um, took off after it. And we saw the same thing, uh, you know, with the way that fans attacked people like Kelly Marie Tran, uh-huh. right, uh, who played Rose in the uh, films. And the way that, you know, these communities uh, really treat these uh, these women actors in, in a very terrible, terrible way. And they'll say, like you pointed mm-hmm. out, well, they don't consider themselves uh, misogynist. One, because maybe they're women and for some reason they think that women can't be misogynist, you know. It, that's like saying that, uh, as a race scholar, I will tell you there are absolutely uh, folks who people of color who are racist against other folks of color. It's called colorism, and it's a very real problem. Um, yeah. Just because you're a part of a community doesn't mean you can't be uh, upholding the uh, oppressive norms that uh, oppress those communities. Um, but they also say things like, "Oh, well, they liked Ahsoka, right? right. Or, oh, they liked uh, Asajj Ventress, or." You know, or maybe people like Bo-Katan. I don't know. Perhaps there are people out there who do. But my point is, right. they hold up these characters as like, oh, well, I can't be X, Y, or Z. I have a black friend or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I do see that quite a bit, too, in, in my interactions in fandom. Um, the, another disturbing trend, and I don't know why what you just said triggered this, but, you know, when we think about the Me Too movement, uh, whenever uh, actors or you know somebody uh, gets named in a Me Too, there's always these people that jump to defend these people. You know, believe women is a problem in these communities. Right. Um, the idea that uh, we should, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty, which you know, trying to explain to people why that's appropriate for a courtroom. But we make social adjustments or judgments about people all the time uh, mm-hmm. without the benefit of a courtroom. You know, I, I tried to give the example, you know, uh, I, I've occasionally worked part time in a grocery store as a cashier. And if I catch another cashier stealing red handed out of the till, I still saw what I saw and they still did what they did, even if my company doesn't decide to press charges. Right. So innocent until proven guilty is not 
appropriate there. Same thing with maybe somebody coming forward when uh, they got groped by a minor actor at a con, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just because they didn't press charges doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Absolutely. Let's talk about cons for a hot second. Uh, the So for those not familiar, if you've never been to a convention, they're a lot of fun. Um, I'm a personal fan of uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta, uh, which is in September every year, and it's Nerd Mardi Gras. Uh, for lack of a better term, it's 70,000 nerds descending on downtown Atlanta, and it's it's a trip. Um, but you've, you've been a long-term con-goer, right, for quite a while? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, like hardcore. Um, I started going to conventions when Creation was still doing Star Trek conventions in the Detroit area um, in the late 80s and, like, throughout the 90s. Um, after that, they kind of... Uh, focused on fewer but bigger conventions around the country so detroit was left off of that agenda um so when that kind of happened i stopped going to conventions like like those kinds of conventions uh for the most part uh i've attended some grassroots conventions there you, there was a fanzine uh convention called media west con out of lansing michigan and this was the premier con uh to debut your fanzines that's where everybody bought their fanzine fix for the year uh no matter what fandom you were in and mm. new or old uh so those were the kinds of cons that i went to for the for the most part. Okay. And so as we wrap up, uh, I want to ask you, um, how have you seen these sort of uh, gender politics uh, sort of play out in real spaces as opposed to just digital ones? Um, In real spaces, I personally have not witnessed uh, a lot of uh, misogyny or things of that nature. Uh, But then I tend to like hang with my own friend group in these situations. And when somebody gets stupid and shoots off their mouth, it's easy enough to just walk away. It's not like your Facebook account that can follow you home, follow you to work, follow you into the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Um, So it's just like the good old days before social media. You know, if somebody got stupid with something, you just went to lunch or you went to a different bar if it was downtime, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if there weren't any panels that you wanted to see or you just conveniently went to go see a panel that you hadn't planned on seeing to get away from the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were things that you could do. Uh, On the other hand, you know, we had this whole cosplay play is not consent uh, movement that preceded me too right so you know we we had these you know women who would dress up like characters and it would you know be kind of sexy or like even the booth babes um you know and people thinking oh well this sexy attire you know is permission to be groped and trying to get through people's heads you know just because i'm dressed like this doesn't mean you get to grope me the only thing i'm consenting to is being looked at Right, right. Uh, dressing up as Slave Leia does not mean that you get to be Jabba the Hutt. Um, yeah. <laughs> although a lot of these dudes have very similar uh, mannerisms, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we're coming to the uh, end on our time, and so uh, I just, Jan, I want to thank you for, for coming and having this conversation with us about, you know, uh, fandoms and the, the sort of gender politics that go into that, and there's a lot here, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk more about it uh, in the future, um, but before we go, uh, is there anywhere people should find you on like Twitter or anything, or do you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, just at Shanna Gilkison, my name. Uh, that's pretty much the only place where I 
deal with uh, fandom and teaching and things like that publicly. Uh, my sure. feed's kind of like this mixture of uh, teaching and fandom and research. So it's it's kind of, it, with the occasional cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. I would not subject anybody to my Facebook um, just because <laughs> you understand. <laughs> I understand. I do. Uh, I wouldn't do that to strangers. <laughs> Facebook has a, a very long and incriminating uh, list of exchanges between you and I about us dealing <laughs> uh, with things that I hope are never made public. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, all right then. Thanks, Shanna. Uh, and for folks who are interested in finding me elsewhere, you can find me on TikTok at uh, Doctor Dot Underscore C, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz PhD. And uh, uh, my silent partner Barry. I'm just trying to stay in character. Silent. Okay. Thornburg Media, folks, is where you can find Barry. ThornburgMedia.com. All right. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for coming by my office hours. We'll see you next time.